morning. My name is Rob Mitchell. I'm a research agronomist and research leader with the USDA Agricultural Research Service in Lincoln, Nebraska. I'm here today talking to you a little bit about perennial grasses for bioenergy and some of our breeding work we've done historically here. And it's important for you to understand maybe a little bit of the history of USDA Ag Research Service. We started breeding perennial grasses here in 1935. And so uh, we've got a long history of breeding perennial grasses. At that point, most of the breeding was for conservation and for forage purposes. And primarily in 1935, Dr. Lawrence Newell started doing his work to revegetate lands here in Nebraska and the central U.S. for areas that had been degraded by the uh, Dust Bowl. And since that time, uh, we, we moved through about uh, 80, 85 years of research, and it's really evolved pretty significantly. So we have gone from working on primarily switchgrass, big blue stem, and Indian grass to now a number of other species. But as we look at this, I'm standing in a field of switchgrass, and this happens to be Liberty switchgrass. This is the first uh, switchgrass that was released for bioenergy purposes here specifically for this region of the U.S. Um, switchgrass is highly productive. It's pretty user-friendly agronomically. You can't really tell yet because it's just kind of coming out of the boot stage, but uh, it's got really nice smooth seed. It flows pretty easy in a drill. It ends up being very well adapted to this region, and uh, again, is quite productive. And as we look at things from a biomass energy perspective, uh, we really have uh, focused a lot of our energy on switchgrass, primarily because of those two things I mentioned. It's very nice, broadly adapted, and, and again, does a really nice job of producing biomass in an agronomically friendly manner. Our research unit is embedded within the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, and so we work collaboratively with UNL very significantly. Um, our history here is as long as I've already mentioned, but uh, again, we do everything from biomass energy research to grazing research to conservation research as well. So a couple things I'd like to tell you, maybe just as a little background information for these perennial grasses, is as their name implies, they are perennial. So we plant them once and we can manage them in perpetuity if we do a good job taking care of them. Um, we have switchgrass research sites here on uh, the Eastern Nebraska Research and Extension Center that were planted in 1998. So we have well over 20 years of continuous harvesting on uh, that plant material, and they're doing very well and continuing to be very productive. It's a little bit muddy, so we won't be able to get to those sites today, but uh, one of the neat things about um, switchgrass and other perennial grasses from a biomass energy perspective and from an environmental perspective is that they do a great job of storing soil carbon. And so one of the things we've seen in that long-term study, as I mentioned, started in 1998, is that we've seen the switchgrass store about a ton of carbon per acre per year below ground. So again, it's very effective at mitigating carbon. And uh, again, really a, a nice uh, side benefit, if you will, to the biomass production side of switchgrass. To turn kind of a little bit to Liberty specifically, this is Liberty switchgrass, as I've mentioned. Liberty is really an interesting switchgrass in that um, it started out as a cross between uh, summer and canlow. And um, you might ask, well, why summer and canlo? Well, primarily because they're of the same ploidy level and capable of interbreeding. The difference is, is that summer is an upland type and liberty or canlo is a lowland type. So it's important to understand that there are two ecotypes of switchgrass. Liberty functions as a lowland ecotype and uh, most of our lowland ecotypes are of more southern origin. So they're uh, basically south of Nebraska the southern border of Nebraska is at 40 degrees north latitude, and most of the lowland ecotypes of switchgrass develop further south than that. Um, the upland ecotypes, 
which have historically been shorter in stature, finer leaves, more of a grazing type, if you will, um, are more adapted to the northern climates. One of the real benefits of incorporating that uh, upland and lowland uh, plant material together is that it significantly improves the winter hardiness of the lowland ecotype. Canlo just doesn't um, reliably overwinter in this area. While it's alive, it really is very productive, but we do have uh, winter survival issues with Canlo. So what Ken Vogel did was uh, he hybridized um, summer and Canlo to develop a true F1 hybrid of those two. And then uh, took that through several cycles of selection to stabilize the population, which resulted in the release of Liberty. So Liberty is a, a lowland functioning ecotype. And uh, again, as you can tell, it's got very nice broad leaves. If you were to compare that to uh, an upland ecotype, the leaf blade would be about half that width. Uh, the stems are again, very large and robust which allows it to be able to uh, hold itself up as it's producing a lot of biomass, so we don't have those lodging issues associated with these uh, lowland ecotypes. Um, Liberty at the field scale, just behind me a little bit, we've got uh, a long-term field scale production study of Liberty switchgrass compared to uh, mixtures of uh, big blue stem Indian grass and Cytos gramma, and then some of our better material for, from a big blue stem perspective grown at the field scale. Those were planted in 2012. Um, Liberty at, at that field scale site is growing and averaging just a little over five tons of biomass per acre managed as a, a field scale crop. So managed basically just like a hay crop, uh, swathing, baling, hauling the bales off. Its long-term average is just a little over five tons per acre. So it has a pretty high production potential in, at the field scale. Interestingly, in the small plot scale, it's been significantly more productive than that. So we've got some work to do to try to maintain its ability to uh, be productive, but also to be able to capture that all with our currently available harvesting material. Um, and so um, at the plot scale, basically we've been able to, to really reliably produce about eight tons of uh, dry matter per acre with Liberty. But again, we haven't been able to recreate that in the field scale. Six or seven tons is about as high as we've been able to, to get at the field scale. But again, long-term reliably, a reliable yield of over five tons per acre. So. Again, just from a recap perspective, Liberty fits very well from here to the eastern seaboard. Um, we have grown it in well over 50 sites in the central and eastern U.S. And again, it just fits very well from a production standpoint. And as the bioeconomy continues to emerge, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Liberty will be a key player in uh, that emerging bioeconomy. Okay, we've now moved over into uh, some big blue stem. And big blue stem, again, is a native perennial warm season grass like switchgrass. They're both very well adapted to this region. Um, John Weaver in some of his early ecological work referred to big blue stem as the king of the tall grass prairie. And as you look at historically big blue stem in the prairie, it was the dominant. Anywhere from 50 to 75% of the total biomass in the native prairies would come from big blue stem. Um, one of the ways big blue stem differs from switchgrass that we were just in is that big blue stem tends to be more strongly rhizomatous. So if given its freedom, it will produce more of a sod. Um, where this is in uh, a managed uh, field where we're actually tilling the rows, we're standing in a tilled row here. Um, so it's kind of restricting the plant's ability to, to develop rhizomes. But um, that's one of the real key characteristics of big blue stem is it produces really a pretty nice sod and uh, is really, really does a nice job of producing biomass. And as you can see here, 
we're just in the stages of development where switchgrass is just beginning to exert, still in the boot stage, um, moving into that reproductive cycle. So um, many of the plants around us are still vegetative and are just beginning to elongate really from a, a plant growth and development perspective. But one of the interesting things about big blue stem is that it does a very nice job of producing biomass as well. And you can tell here that much of the leaf material is carried a little higher in the canopy um, in these bioenergy type big blue stems than would be in some of the grazing types. The grazing types would tend to be a little more a lower canopy, whereas the bioenergy types tend to have a little elevated canopy and leaf growth, which really does a nice job of spreading out its ability to, to produce biomass. The other thing, as I was pointing out, the big stems, we kind of uh, jokingly refer to this as our bamboo big blue stem because of the size of the stems that this will get. It will get some very large stems, even as large as the pinky on my finger, and uh, those are just really large for a perennial grass plant. Um, when you compare these two from a production perspective, they're pretty similar. However, as I mentioned earlier, switchgrass is agronomically very friendly. Big blue stem is not quite so friendly. One of the reasons that big blue stem is not so agronomically friendly is that it is in the Tribandropogonia, which basically means bearded man. And so when you look at their seeds, their seeds have all of these fine hairs on them that really make it more difficult for them to move through a drill. Now those can be pretty easily addressed from a, a seed conditioning perspective where we can process the seed, make it more easy to flow through a drill. But again, it does create one additional step that we don't see with things like switchgrass. Um, but from a, from a plant growth perspective, boy, big blue stem has a lot of potential. If we were to compare the two from a grazing perspective, kind of stepping away from bioenergy for a minute, if you compare switchgrass to big blue stem from a grazing perspective, because of the, all, all the way that uh, big blue stem manages its canopy, it really maintains a, a good forage base for us. So typically, if we're comparing big blue stem and Indian grass in a grazing trial, Big blue stem will far exceed the average daily gain potential in pounds of beef production per acre potential compared to switchgrass. So um, again, a lot of things that are really kind of positive from a grazing perspective about big blue stem. Also tends to be more palatable. Um, the other thing that's really kind of unique about uh, big blue stem compared to switchgrass is that very few, comparatively anyway, very few of the tillers will transition into that reproductive stage. Whereas most of the tillers in a, in a switchgrass population will go into that reproductive stage, really only a smaller percentage of those in big blue stem will transition into the reproductive stage. So it's a great thing from a grazing or bioenergy perspective, maybe not such a great thing from a seed production perspective. Um, so as we look at some of these uh, seed production potentials in, in our big blue stems, Indian grasses and switchgrass, that's a, a key thing for us to be looking at as we continue to breed those for any purpose really, because we do need to be able to propagate them from seed and produce an adequate seed yield.